When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is reach for a fresh, cold glass of oat milk. But choosing the right brand of oat milk is becoming challenging with more and more companies entering into this multi-billion dollar industry. Cue the battle of the oats and this week's episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP. Today's episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP is brought to you by the Trademark Lawyer Magazine. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the world of IP and trademarks, go to www.trademarklawyermagazine.com. Each issue is free to read for up to eight weeks. That's trademarklawyermagazine.com for global news in the world of trademarks. Okay, so Tom, Mark, please explain the battle of the oats to the listeners at home. Okay, before we do that though, Ray, you have to explain, I understand that Mark drinks oat milk, but do you really reach for a glass of oat milk in the morning? No, but I thought it would be entertaining. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Okay, all right. So I, I, anyway, I like oat milk. I prefer listen, regular milk, but I, you know, I'll drink a glass of oat milk. I have a carton of oat milk in my fridge. My daughter drinks it all the time. I have yet to try it though. But after this podcast, just like when we did the Impossible Burger and I went right out to Burger King and bought the Impossible Burger, I'm getting a glass of oat milk after this. <laughs> now I want, I want some. I want to taste both. We can do yeah, a little exactly. Hey, so anyway, so we have Mark with us because Mark is our guru. He's our resident guru on Oak, Oatly versus Glebe Farm. And basically, just to kind of give a high level of this, Oatly is this big, giant company. They're like a $12.5 billion US dollar valuation, even though they're uh, I think they're out of uh, Sweden, Malmo, Sweden. And Glebe Farms is literally a brother-sister combo. It's Rebecca and Philip Rayner. And they're out of the UK, which is uh, home to the great Mark Cattle. Did I say your name correctly, Mark? Yeah, that's correct. Mark Cattle, yes. Mark Cattle. The great Mark Cattle is in the UK right next door to Rebecca and Philip. And when I say next door, I mean they're on the same little uh, plot of land. But <laughs> anyway, so apparently um, Oatly did not like the fact that Glebe Farm came out with an oat milk and called it pure Oaty. So they sued them for trademark infringement. And here we are. Mark, what is going on? Yeah, that's a great, a great introduction to this. The Battle of the Oats, um, Oatley and Glebe Farm. I mean, this is a classic David and Goliath battle um, with some common topical uh, trends around the shift from dairy products to oat milk and the way that has become um, a big market here in the UK and by the sounds of things in the US as well, if you've got some um, situated in your fridge. But here we have... Oatly trying to enforce their trademark registrations in Oatly against Glebe's use of uh, pure OT. And the so decision. They actually, so they actually have a trademark regist registration for Oatly. Yes, the word for oat Oatly milk. for oat milk. That's correct. And they also have, you may have seen their product, they have trademark registrations for the front of their packaging as well. It's like which trade, we call it trade dress in the US. That's it. Yeah. You call it that in the UK as well, Mark? Uh, we tend to call that uh, maybe packaging design or a logo trademark for how something looks applied to a particular product. But yeah, trade dress is the right term for the US, at least in my experience. So they tried to stop Glebe Farm Foods using the trademark Pure OT based on their registrations and their reputation and also their unregistered user rights, which we have in the UK, a bit like in the US for, for Pure OT. Um, 
So that's, wait, that's wait, why so, this case so off we the have, ground. We have a registered. Okay, so we have a registered trademark for Oatly. Mm -hmm. We have. Do we have a registered trademark for the packaging as well? Correct. And then we also have something unregistered in the U.S. We call that common law rights. Yeah. And is that what's that for? So we have Oatly that's registered. We have the packaging on the front of the carton, but then we have this unregistered thing. What is that? Yeah. So in the UK, we also call them common law rights. Our systems traditionally are quite aligned um, in the UK and in the US. So we tend to refer to this as being the law of passing off, where you try and hold your product out as being related to someone else when that's not the case. And there's certain tests for that, one of which is that the trademark that um, you're relying on the unregistered rights for has goodwill, so it's become quite popular, people know it, and you, the, the trademark infringer, the person that is defended in the case, has used that trademark in a way that's deceived the public. People are confused, they're buying Glebe's products thinking they're Oatly products, and that's where that unregistered gotcha. rights thing kicks in. So that might be quite similar to the US, but it's an additional uh, right, right to so I think we had a momentary pause. On. Yeah, something in addition to what um, they could rely okay, so, on their registered rights. Thing. All right, so Mark, what I understand then is it all comes down to confusing similarity, right? That's what we're talking about. The marketplace is confused, or Oatly is alleging that by launching a new, uh, a, a new oat milk product, which is the same product, right? I mean, same mm -hmm. basic product line yeah. with the name Pure Oaty, it's going to be confusingly similar in the marketplace to Oatly, which is a registered trademark. And maybe the box itself might even be confusing, depending upon how people weigh in on that. Yeah, that, that's a great summary. There is the, the test is whether or not people are likely to be confused. Oatly says exactly. the registered trademark, Oatly is too close. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Pure Oatly trademark is too close to Oatly. People will be confused. Mm -hmm. Their registered trademark rights kick in. That was the basis of the confusion, the confusing similarity claim. So what did the court say? What happened? Um, the court was quite uh, quite dismissive of Oatley's position. Oatley were unsuccessful on, the, on all grounds, <coughs> so likely the confusion and the common law rights that we spoke about before, and also the reputational uh, ground as well, which was that their trademark is so famous that use of pure OT would um, sort of tarnish and dilute that reputation, a bit like you have in the U.S., um, the court said that none of those particular tests were satisfied. And as you've alluded to already, um, the fact that Oatly is consumed by the word oat and the only similarity in the purity trademark is oat, their commonality was in their descriptive elements, oat for oat milk. And because the L-Y ending for Oatly wasn't present in Glebe's trademark, there was no confusion. No one would think that purity and Oatly were related. So it couldn't, it couldn't apply, and Oatly were unsuccessful for that reason, particularly. So I'm wondering, Mark, how did Oatly get a trademark on Oatly, which seems for, for oat milk, which seems descriptive to me? Now, in the US, we have mm. you know four categories of trademark significance. We have fanciful, arbitrary, suggestive, and then we jump the line to descriptive. And unless you have something called secondary meaning, you can't get protection on descriptive marks in the US. But it seems like they got a mark for Oatly for oat milk. That seems unusual to me. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, the test isn't uh, on the similar tiers. A trademark is either distinctive or, or not distinctive, unless it has acquired distinctiveness through its use. But these trademarks were inherently distinctive. So when they were applied for, the trademark office uh, took a decision that Oatly 
and probably the conjunction of O and the end in LY would be mu enough to be to be registrable. It was distinctive enough. So in the UK, the decision was that these trademarks were sufficiently distinctive and got on the registration uh, for that reason. But what this case demonstrates is that where the common uh, the common elements of two competing trademarks are in their descriptiveness. So both have an O. The the other trade the earlier trademark cannot be relied upon to stop. The descriptive use by someone else. This might be where this case is interesting because we find a decision from the court that says um, Oatly trademark is, is well and good, but they can't monopolize the, the theme of oatiness around oat milk products because everyone should be able to do that. And I think right. that's why this has captured some attention and uh, questions some of the reasons why Oatly brought this case in the first place, trying to um, protect their position in the market. So I have two, two other questions that come to mind. One is, Pure Odie, they don't have a trademark on pure Odie, right? They're just entering the marketplace using it maybe as a trademark, maybe as a descriptor. But I mean, it's clearly trying to use it as a trademark, pure Odie, but they don't have a registration. That's right. No registration, interestingly, as well. Uh, their initial brand, when they when they started out selling oat milk, um, Glee Farms, was just the term oat drink. So they were just purely descriptive. They were, they were doing what they did. Um, and then they rebranded to Pure Oaty, and that's when Oatly jumped on them with this, um, this, this lawsuit, this infringement action. But there is still a descriptive term. You know, they're, they're telling their customers that their oat milk is, is full of oats. It's purely oaty. Right. You, know, you know where this goes, right? So that is, yeah. that is the descriptive point that they were able to say, our trademark is just descriptive. The Oatly trademark doesn't capture it. We should be able to continue as we are. And that's what oh, the court so, said as well. So they actually, as part of their argument, said, we're purely descriptive. Mm. They're not even holding themselves. Like, so if in the future, somebody comes along with a brand, pure Odie, for their trademark, or for their milk, their oat mm. milk, wouldn't pure Odie, I mean, Glebe Farms, have a hard time preventing them from entering the marketplace unless they had acquired distinctiveness through, through like all kinds of popularity and stuff like that? Yeah, it would be difficult if they didn't have registered trademark rights, which might be a problem if that if we're taking that that is a descriptive term. One of the things that they might rely on, though, if they do have someone coming to market after them using the same trademark is the common law rights we spoke about. It could be right. that someone that's trying to pass their brand off as Glebe Farms in the UK, that might be actionable and they could try and prevent that from happening if someone's except, just trying to copy, copy what they're doing. Except they've already kind of acknowledged that it's just descriptive. Yeah, I mean, it'd be... It might be case. more difficult for them now to do that. But. Mark, the other question that I, this time you froze. The, <laughs> the, uh, it's okay. This is, uh, the other question I had for you is, I did a little quick search and found that there's another oat milk brand called, which is made by a company called Silk, which they play on the theme of oh yeah, but they call it oat yeah. O-A-T space Y-E-A-H, oat yeah. So we have Oatly, we have pure Oaty, and then we have another brand called Oh Yeah. You know, there's no exclamation point, by the way. So, mm. but I'm wondering, you know, is that another one where oat is clearly usable by everyone in the oat milk business, right? Yes. And I would say they would probably be okay because they're going to focus their trademark, like significance, if you will, on the yeah, you know, like this enthusiastic thing about oats. So they could probably get a trademark on Oh Yeah. And they could probably prevail if they're either opposed or, you know, sued by Oatly, right? 
Yeah, in that, in that example there, the same logic applies. Oat is being used descriptively to refer to the product. The distinctive part is the yeah part. And, and for that reason, Oatly would have a tough time trying to get them to stop using that trademark or registering that trademark as well. It's one of the things that's apparent to me here is that Oat is becoming more and more uh, widely used in the particular Oat drink sector, as you'd expect. And if there is a sort of first big player user like Oatly, um, it's going to be hard for them to control the use of Oat by other people, given it's just a descriptor. So their, their initial, to go back to your point about Oatly being perhaps on the borderline of what's distinctive, what isn't distinctive, that gives them a harder time trying to enforce a trademark against uses of Oat by other people. Yeah, so, so let's say Pure Odie comes, or I mean, Glebe Farm comes to you 18 months ago, and they decide, hey, we're going to, or they, no, actually, I think they launched their Oat drink 18 months ago, and then sometime thereafter, they decided to adopt the so-called trademark Pure Odie, or maybe a trademark Pure Odie. So they come to Mark Cattle, the great trademark lawyer in the UK, and they say, here's what we want to do. I mean, would you counsel them and say, look, let me just, let's just back off. We don't have any emotional or financial investment in Pure Odie yet. Mm -hmm. Why don't we pursue a trademark that you can actually have as a trademark? instead of something so descriptive that you could probably be infringed downstream. And oh, by the way, you might be infringing Oatly, which is a $12.5 billion behemoth. Mm. I mean, what would you say to them if they came to you? Yeah, probably two things to our advice there. First off is to conduct some thorough searches about what has already gone before to make sure there isn't any infringement risk. Uh, and perhaps in this case, if we search for Pure Oatly, that Oatly may have uh, come out in that. And it may be if we were taking the line that Pure Oatly was a descriptor, we might have said it's, it's not going to be an issue because Oatly can't stop use of descriptive terms. Um, the second thing would be around the point you just described there, the best trademarks are those that are unique, fanciful, that really right. set you apart from your, your competitors. Uh, although we wouldn't necessarily counsel them on their sort of brand selection. It could just be that Pure is quite descriptive. You may wish to think about something that you could register for yourself, give you a big slice of the pie, something you've got a monopoly in that you could then enforce against others to protect your own exclusivity. Because as we spoke about earlier, some of the issues about trying to enforce purity may come back to, to Hartley Farms in the future. Time will tell, but that, that's, that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, I like the way you put that. I like the way you said that, that you wouldn't counsel them on a brand because that's not your thing. You counsel them on the rules associated with getting protection and enforceability of a brand, right? That's right. And then yeah. What, yeah, so then they can get all their big brand experts to say, okay, well, I get it. Let's try something fanciful or you know something in that regard. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, we, we're not necessarily sort of brand advisors or, or an ad agency, but we would say that if this trademark isn't distinctive, it's not going to be registrable. And all the benefits of trademark registration, you know, being able to sue people having the peace of mind you can use a trademark are lost. And you might want to consider something else over to the yeah. creative guys and they pick it up there. Right. Well, you know, so here's one thing I found funny about this outcome. Okay. So Gleam, uh, Gleam Farm prevails. They get sued by Oatly, this big giant. They prevail. The court tells them in it, it was not uncertain. It was certain terms. They're not infringing, right? They're not infringing. So then the quote I get from uh, Oatly is, is that we wish we wish Glebe Farm the best going forward. You know, we we love you. We want you involved in the market. We wish you the best. We just think they should do so in their own unique voice, just like we did. Okay. So that's their parting shot is we just think they should do so in their own unique voice, just like we did. Here's what it reminds me of. 
in the olden days, I used to be in the, I used to be what's called an assistant district attorney in, in my town. And we prosecuted criminals. And I had this buddy named Rich. And Rich tried this petty larceny case. It was like, guy goes into a store, steals some stuff, runs out, gets caught, goes into court. Rich loses the case, okay? The defense, the defendant wins the case. He's not guilty. As the defendant's walking out of the courtroom, Rich says, and I never want to see you back in that store. He said, dude, you didn't win. He's not guilty of committing petty larceny. He can go back in the store. That's why I love this quote, which is they just lost, right? You're not infringing. We just think they should do so in their own unique voice, just like we did. I just think it's such a funny, ballsy, maybe slightly not self-aware. I don't know what I could say about it, but I just that jumped out at me as as funny after the case, you know. But anyway, that's probably also not for us to counsel on because that's not a legal matter. That's more of a branding matter. Mm. Yeah, and, hey, and you so, might have seen you might have seen as well, Tom, that on 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 Oatley's website, and this is true of Glebe Farms as well. They've actually published the decision and promoted the fact that the case had happened. Tried to come clean on Oatley's website. They've actually got some of the skeleton arguments from the case. They've got a decision links that you can go as a you know, member of the public if you want to. Wow! And seem to just say this case happened. Here's everything that was argued. You can make up your own mind about it a bit like the, the quote you just said almost saying this happened make your but own mind good up for them yeah good for it's interesting Oakley. to see that yeah i love the fact that they did that so in other words they're not hiding this yeah. is what happened good for them i i applaud them for doing that now to glebe farms's benefit it's probably giving them much much needed notoriety because they're a small company and mm. i read an interesting commentary on this this person was commenting on why Glebe Farms didn't just back down when this started. And they said one reason might be they want Oatly to buy them because Oatly apparently does not have a, a processing unit or a factory for processing, or maybe not in the UK or something. Okay. But, you know, so what does Glebe Farm get out of it? Because it costs a lot of money. I mean, you litigate, you're spending, you know what that's like, Mark, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you're spending a lot of money defending yourself. So even if you win as the defendant, you still lose because you've lost a small fortune. And if you are Rebecca and um, who's our other guy here, Rebecca Phil. and Philip Rayner, you know, not a huge company. This came right out of your pocket, but yeah. they got notoriety, right? They got to know, they got to know uh, this company Oatly, maybe Oatly buys them and maybe they get investors. I mean, who knows? This could become a big boon for uh, Glebe Farms. I mean, they mm -hmm. won, but the money they lost, they might get back in other ways like, you know, brand development, recognition, sympathy. You know, people say, oh my God, the little guy lost. I love the little guy. I'm going to start buying. I'm going to get, I'm going to get Glebe Farms Pierotti in my fridge. You know, maybe that happens. Yeah, but yeah. Oatly handled it brilliantly because now I'm not upset about Oatly anymore in light of what you've said. They, they hmm. came clean. They put it all out there. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that nowadays, at least in the UK, probably the same in the US, given the same trends on social media platforms and the sort of core of public opinion, a lot of PRs generated around this case. I mean, one of the things that happened was that Glebe Farm, they started a petition, or at least someone started a petition um, on change.org, and that had 130,000 signatures, uh, and they ran the staff line, let Glebe Farm sow their oats. People that were essentially coming... Wow coming out and support a Glebe and everything you said there about PR and generating a bit of a storm around this 
um, to try and you know favor um, the little company, as you said, family-run farm, basically farmers running a company in a small part of the UK. All good PR for them, I would oh, say. Oh yeah, and, um, and of the hundred and thirty thousand people that signed the position petition, I would guess that one hundred and twenty-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-six have no idea what this case is about. Yeah. They don't understand the subtleties of what's actually happening here, you know, but they're supporting the little guy. You know, they don't, they don't care what it's about. They're like, Hey, we want to defend the little guy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think that's, that's the right, the right conclusion to draw that they've basically created a bit of a, bit of a hype around the brand by not really doing much other than defending a court action, which yeah. if they got advice at the start, it may have been, you've got a good chance of winning this. Let's see it through. Um, and they did. Tactically and they did use some of the good PR. And, you know, here we are talking about it now. So they're still getting spoken about. Um, now they're in the US. So great, oh, great right. news for and them. And they're going to have now millions and millions of people that watch our podcast are going to be probably thinking about Glebe Farms and Oatly. They're both winning. If you're not craving a cold glass of oat milk <laughs> by the end of this podcast, there's something wrong with you. I agree. And you know, as soon as we close, Ray, I'm going into the fridge and getting myself some oat milk. But I know, I'm, I'm, gonna gonna go to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to Wegmans, which is the greatest grocery store in the world, and it's right down the street from me. And I'm going to specifically support Oatly and Glebe Farms and buy milk from both of them today and test both. We'll do, we'll do a follow-up on this episode. And you got it. But Mark, this has been great. Thank you so that. much for doing this today. Yeah, Mark. You're very welcome. It's good to good to speak to you both. Um, hope you found it useful. Yeah, and for all of you out there, millions of listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button, like, share your comments, send it to your your friends, your family, your in laws, and support stuff you should know about IP. Thanks, everyone. Bye.